I'm Chuck. And I'm Buck. And this is the Buck and Chuck Gaming Connection. And today we're talking about none other than the original NES, the Nintendo Entertainment System. Classic of classics. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people, uh, especially around our age, got their gaming start on the NES. Like, you know, um, obviously both of us did here, and we're going to be sharing uh, just some of those memories and um, looking over some nostalgia and seeing kind of what holds up and maybe what doesn't hold up so well in uh, 2018. Yeah, I mean, the NES was perfectly timed for us. We were both born in 87, and it came out in North America in 85 and a couple years earlier in Japan. So there was plenty of games out for the console, even though at that time we weren't old enough to play video games. And I certainly didn't have a Nintendo until I was around five years old, so around 92. I got mine pretty late, but that was par for the course with my gaming history up until probably the last 10 years. <laughs> Maybe even, yeah, probably the last 10 years. Yeah, I mean, I had mine, um, got it back in, I want to say it was 89, but then I was like, it's two years old. It's, I was two years old, then it's hard to remember. Um, my brother's four years older than I am, so I want to say it was right around 88, 89-ish when we got it. And I know we got it with the old uh, Mario Duck Hunt bundle, which was... Uh, a lot of fun for the time, for sure. Oh, yeah. Well, I think I think everybody pretty much got that. My exception was my sister ended up getting it for me and my brother for Christmas one year, and we got the Mario Duck Hunt track and field bundle, which was amazing, because not only do you get the – was the gun called the Zapper? Pretty sure that's yeah. true. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then you also get the track pad, which lets two people just run like fools next to each other doing track and field <laughs> events. Super fun game. And I don't think actually a lot of people had that. I didn't know anybody else that had it. No, uh, because I don't, I don't know that they even... They didn't put those three together until pretty late in the life cycle, I want to say. No, it's good to be a late adopter sometimes. You get those advantages. That's true. Yeah. I didn't have a whole lot of Nintendo games when I first got the console. I remember, you know, getting... Uh, that small slew of games with the bundle, and I remember very distinctly, I, I don't know if it was that year, like a year later, uh, my sister also picked me up a copy of Castlevania III, Dracula's Curse, probably my favorite game on the console, and that kind of, that didn't necessarily start my craze for the Castlevania series, but it, it was definitely my first opportunity to dip my toes in, and it, an excellent game. And then she also she also had a Nintendo of her own, and I remember playing certain games like uh, Batman, Shadowgate, uh, some of the original Star Wars games. I had a lot of fun playing those. Yeah, and mine was a, a little bit different. We didn't have a ton of games either, but I look forward to every Friday. Uh, we would always go to the local uh, video game rental store, just rental store in general, for usually got a... Uh, a wrestling VHS tape and then one video game because that's a just a sweet combo there. Definitely, yeah. definitely <laughs> unique. Yeah, I didn't I didn't actually do that all that often, but I will say, for the sake of the episode, I got to say my first rental ever, which is a game that I know you'll talk about that you were very excited about. First rental ever was actually Mega Man Six. I mean, that's a solid first rental right there. It's also probably from the same place for movies and more, I'd imagine. Yeah, that place right downtown. Yep, I think yep. we we kept them in business until they eventually went out. No two. <laughs> yeah, and then we and then I think we bought all their games. Well, yeah, Sweet so and Two is still <laughs> on my shelf. There you go. 
I, I don't remember, you know, going in there, certainly not every week, and I don't remember renting a lot of games until, you know, we, we got a Sega Genesis. That's when me and my brother actually started renting games more frequently. Yeah, that was a that was probably the best time to be renting games because at least some of the rentals I got from the NES games were some stinkers. So Genesis, SNES, that was a lot safer usually. Yeah, there tended to be a higher population, higher percentage of the titles that came out that were a little bit better. I mean, the the Nintendo era, it was still kind of the Wild West of trying to figure out what a, what made a game fun and what different genres worked. So, and you got to remember, a lot of people that have recently picked up video games, maybe a lot of younger players, you have so many more buttons on your controllers than we used to. <laughs> I know that makes us sound like old men. And, and even and we had so many, we felt like we had so many more than like my parents and some of my older siblings. They were like, oh, the, you know, we just had the Atari. Atari we had the joystick yeah. and the one button. I was just like, but oh, we got this sweet D-pad. It's way better than the joystick. I got, <laughs> I got an A and B button and select and start. I'm rolling in the buttons. Exactly. But now you got like 20 buttons on your controller, which I still love, but. It was just a different time, and the games were far, far simpler. But one thing I always appreciated about games of that vintage, I felt like there was just a lot more ingenuity and imagination put into them. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I mean, uh, well, the sucky thing just about gaming right now, I mean, just look at all the new games and, and stuff just coming out now. Everything, period, is pretty much a sequel. Back then, nothing was a sequel except for, you know, six Mega Man games on the NES. But for the most part, everyone was just throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what would stick, and I kind of wish we would uh, go back to that a little bit more because there's hardly any new franchises that come out the, these days, and that's that's kind of sad. Like, we're getting, what, Assassin's Creed 78 comes out today Odyssey or just Odyssey just came out today. Yeah, exactly. Which actually looks to be probably one of the more interesting ones, but I but don't care super, about that series um, at all. Yeah, it's super microtransaction-y from what I've heard. But yeah, well, I don't care about it either. <laughs> what can you do? It's another huge, you know, faux pas about gaming today, but I don't want to get thrown off my soapbox here and get too sidetracked from the NES. But yeah, I just wish more games these days would just uh, throw some ideas out there and get something fresh because, like you said, the NES, everyone was just trying stuff, and then there that made for a decent amount of kind of crappy games, but... At the time, we didn't realize a lot of these games were crap. Well, you know, back, back on the Nintendo, there was actually a lot of very well-made licensed games, surprisingly. Lots of, lots of interesting games based on, you know, cartoons, TV shows, and movies back then. And I know that you have a couple of them that you're pretty fond of. Oh, yeah, the Turtles, the Turtles 2 and 3 were amazing. Those are two of my favorite games in the system. Oh, yeah, those were both great. And I remember you had the Bucky O'Hare game. Yeah, the Bucky O'Hare game was epic. I almost forgot that was based on a license. But yeah, that was based on the cartoon. Yeah, that's a, a Mega Man clone that everyone should check out. That game is freaking epic. I wish they'd give it a, a release on a virtual console or whatever Nintendo's online service is. Just make it as a games-a-service game. But, yeah, that's a phenomenal Mega Man clone made by our good old friends at Konami. Konami was on it in the NES days, too, let me say. They made all kinds of good games and had the Konami code. They were uh, just, oof. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, they were, they were like, making games back then. Konami and Capcom. Literally, yeah. And Capcom, too, they had, like, the uh, 
Chip and Dale games yeah. were based on Rescue Rangers. They had DuckTales. Uh, Darkwing Duck was pretty solid. What other licensed games do they have? Obviously, did, they, did they have a Strider game on the Nintendo? I want to say. I, I know we're talking about licensed games, though. So they had they had the, like the arcade perfect port almost on the Genesis. I don't know if they had one on Nintendo. I think they did, but I doubt it was. Obviously, it wasn't arcade perfect. No, the one on Genesis was epic, though. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to look at my list of games I have here. Besides Mega Man Six, I don't have any Capcom games on my list. Yeah, I know uh, Cousin Monk had um, both DuckTales games, which I think uh, I actually have now because I just borrowed them, you know, 20 years ago and don't think I ever really gave them back, but those games are... No, he's not. (laughs) (laughs) Those games are are really freaking good, and they actually... I got the remasters, too, that came out on PS3 a couple years ago. They remastered them and just Gave them a, a sweet graphical facelift. Otherwise, they're pretty much play identical. Did you play that? Uh, did you did you play that Donald Duck game back on the Nintendo? Is there a Donald Duck game? No, I, I guess I didn't play it. I don't. I played Darkwing Duck. No, yeah, that's not the one I'm talking about. But maybe I'm making stuff up. I could swear there was a, a <laughs> Donald Duck game that they got remade on like the PS3. You're talking and about was, Ducktales, dude. Maybe. Oh, maybe I am. I must be. Yeah, it's got the, uh, Scrooge McDuck. You're getting your ducks. Yeah, mixed. that's for you. Got to get in it. a row. One, two. There we go. Got it. <laughs> you asked me in a, a couple of minutes. I will already have forgotten. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like you said, Konami was really killing it too. Obviously, they had Contra. Obviously, Castlevania. Gradius was good too. Gradius was good, and uh, Life Force was a pretty good. Uh, spaceship shooter. That was a sweet game. I was just playing that the other day, actually. Yeah. Oh, Super C wasn't so bad either. The sequel to Contra. No. What else did they have? They had a, all kinds of stuff on there. I don't know why I'm drawing a blank here. What else? Disappoints me. Yeah. I mean, you're a resident Konami expert here. Come on. I've lost a lot of respect for them, <laughs> so I can't remember. <laughs> But I mean, regardless, as a Castlevania game, or as a Castlevania game, as a Castlevania <laughs> fan, uh, I gotta I gotta bring up how different, unique, and how how much how well that series evolved. Because you had Castle the original Castlevania, which was a really solid six stage kind of. I like to describe it as like a slow paced thinking man's kind of platformer action game. Because it's not one that's really based on reactions so much. It's more about knowing the game, which is a lot. The Nintendo built a lot of games on just memorization and just knocking your head against it until you figured it out and beat it. Yeah, That's that where the phrase Nintendo yeah. hard comes from, and that's yeah. what it was based off of. Mega Man did that a lot for sure. And one thing I remember from several Nintendo games, I remember this, and uh, it was probably in Castlevania. It was in every Mega Man game. You would kill a dude, and if you walked back about three inches, the dude would come right back and respawn from the same spot. Ah, yes. I'm glad that they went away from that. Yeah, I don't know what that was. I'm assuming that was just part of the code and part of, like, the the scrolling procedural generation of the level. But oh, Ninja Gaiden was the worst. <laughs> yeah, because you those get knocked back birds. and would come right back. Oh, my God. Ninja, all three Ninja Gaiden games. Good games, brutally hard, 
definitely ones people need to check out. But I'm sure most people probably have at this point. Probably. I mean, I have the third one. Did you have? I, don't I had. Know I had the first was. one. Okay. Yeah, the third one. God, that game was hard, ridiculously hard. But it was fun. Yeah, I mean, the first one was actually pretty well balanced until you got to the final boss, and it was just a total pain. One and two were, I think two is supposed to be like the best one of the series, ironically, the one we don't have, but I remember one being pretty good, and three was good, it was just unfairly insane, it made Dark Souls look like a super easy, you know, a baby game. game. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. Actually, Ninja Gaiden 2, I have played it, I don't, I own it on the Super Nintendo, though. Yeah, you have the the trilogy. Yeah. Yeah, those are those are all good games, but you're right that... That scrolling regeneration stuff was just an artifact at the time. And like you said, thankfully it's gone. Yeah. I actually don't remember that happening in Castlevania 3 so much. I feel like maybe they figured that out. And obviously not in Castlevania 2. The, the Simon's Quest, the game that everybody mocks Hates. so heavily on the internet <laughs> these days, thanks to uh, the angry video game nerd, which shout out to him. Love that episode. And that game is obnoxious, but I loved it in its day, and Castlevania 3 was just a grand evolution, kind of a nice send-off as a as a, a late-generation title, took everything that the series had built up before that, and it just, just an epic scale. There's just so many levels in that game. I think there's like, oh, probably 20 or, or more, and, mul- and that's where they started doing like the multiple paths, and you could recruit characters like... Um, like Alucard and stuff like that. So that's where a lot of the characters that were so beloved in the series came from, and Castlevania 3 is what the Netflix Castlevania series is based off of. Which, there's getting new episodes pretty soon on that, aren't we? The end of October. Nice. I think it's the 26th. Yeah, I'm getting that and Symphony of the Night and Rondo of Blood re-released at the end of the month. Go Konami. October's pretty solid month so far. Uh, yeah, I already got Mega Man 11. Yeah. Thank yeah, you. and I will say, uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, just uh, one more thing about Castlevania there. I would say if Castlevania 3 even came out today, just as like an indie title on, you know, Switch, PlayStation Store, uh, Steam, anything like that, it would still get really freaking good reviews today. I mean, it's definitely still holds up. And um, Bloodstain was uh, like Curse of the Moon or whatever that just came out. Yep. And that basically modeled Castlevania 3. Yeah, and it was amazing. I'm pretty sure I've already talked sugar on it before. <laughs> I think but, so. I mean, if anything proves that Konami needs to release an actual retro, you know, collection, I think the fact that Curse of the Moon did so well, sold so well, and, and you know, maybe based on how uh, Castlevania Requiem sells, maybe they'll get that through their thick skulls. But we'll see. Fingers crossed. We'll see what happens. Yeah. So what other titles did you like off the Nintendo? Just curious. Oh, there were too many. Several of them there. Almost too many. Several left. (laughs) We can talk about the Mega Man series a little bit more if you want. Yeah, I mean, I just dive into that. Uh, The first one I played, first Mega Man game, I just happened to randomly rent it. Like I said, I went to movies and more. Um, It was when I was super little. I was too young to read, wasn't going to school yet, and my mom would take me out to the video store, and then we would actually... Um, I'd get a rent a game, and then my brother Roy would always want to want me to rent a wrestling VHS too. So I'd have to always re- uh, memorize what the covers looked like on everything. So I couldn't read anything. 
So uh, I didn't play the original Mega Man because the cover looks so stupid. But I do remember the first one I actually played was Mega Man 3. And that's still my favorite um, retro Mega Man game to this day. Yeah, that game was... Uh, the music is epic and on point. I know everyone loves 2, and 2 is a really, really freaking good game. So I don't want to knock it. But 3 there... Um, 3 introduced the slide. It introduced Proto Man. It had... After you beat... Um, the eight robot bosses in three, you actually fight um, the eight robot bosses from two, which was really cool. It just did, it seemed like everything right. The music was still epic, just like it was in two. Three's probably my favorite NES game, I'd say, overall. Nice, yeah, it is pretty good. It's actually, if I remember correctly, it's one of the harder ones as well. Yeah, three, after, after three, <laughs> maybe because too many people complained or something, four got significantly easier. One I would still say is the hardest. One is cheap hard. Well, what? Yeah, what I one I would argue is probably not a great game. They no, it's trying to. They were trying to figure it out, and I'm glad that it at least sold well enough that they could move on to two. And I'm sure they're still still banking on the financial reports off of Mega Man Two. It's so popular, and I dare I say I still argue it has my favorite Mega Man soundtrack. Oh, I'd say to yeah. This day. Two is still. I mean, X was really good too. Like Zero's theme is epic, but yeah, that the opening credits for not the opening credits, but just the opening for Mega Man Two and that music kicks in. Yeah, that's iconic. That's epic. Oh yeah, I would say the Mega Man series is one of the very few soundtracks of old NES games that I go back and listen to on YouTube, just like while I'm doing work or anything. I'll listen to Castlevania as well, but Mega Man's definitely one if I want to get a little bit more pumped up or anything like that. It's actually pretty good workout music. That's true. I got some uh, Mega Man in my playlist. Yeah, mainly Mega Man 2, but like you said, yeah, 2 and 3 both have some good tracks. Um, really, a lot of Mega Man's pretty solid, but the Mega Man series is the only one that I can go back to and actually listen to from NES. Like, SNES and Genesis have quite a few, but regular NES, yeah, they were working some magic on those uh, little synth chips or whatever they did the music on back then, because it was impressive. One of my favorites, and I think this probably surprises a lot of people, but I think if anybody remembers playing it, it wouldn't come as a huge surprise, which was the original Batman game by Sunsoft. It has an amazing soundtrack, and it's actually one of my favorite games on the Nintendo, too. Batman actually had a good game that early, then fell off for a while. <laughs> it's hard to believe, yeah. Yeah, no, that, thing, that, that, uh, that Batman game is awesome. I don't even really know how to describe it, but actually, it had it had really cool like animated cutscenes, like Ninja Gaiden did in between each level. Man, and it had, had cool music there, and it was just your it, it had it had wall jumps, and you had like different sub weapons, kind of like you have in Castlevania. You got a couple of different gadgets you could throw around. Um, yeah, it was a lot of fun, and not and not super hard like Ninja Gaiden was, even though it got a little brutal towards the end. I don't I think, even think I've actually played that game. That's I, I highly epic. suggest it. I think you definitely like it. It's a pretty it's a pretty cool one. Yeah, I remember seeing it around, but it's not one of them I remember written way back in the day. If I, I highly suggest if anybody's not interested in playing it, that's fine. Just listen to the, the music from stage one. You'll love it immediately. That's all nice. I gotta say about that. But let's see. So I've also got I gotta mention the original Metroid. I have kind of mixed feelings about that one. While I'm a huge Metroidvania fan, as you all know, the original Metroid, while groundbreaking in its day, 
an incredible design philosophy. I, I'm not sure most people who got that game actually knew what they were doing with it. And I know when I was younger and I played it, I didn't either. Yeah, Very so I, I actually hated that game when I rented it as a Yeah, it didn't buck. make any sense. We were all used to a more linear side-scrolling platformer. The only non-linear game a lot of us had played at that point was probably Legend of Zelda. And let's be honest, we didn't make it very far back in the day. <laughs> at no. least I know I didn't. Well, nobody made it very far until the Internet. But Who has to burn a random tree in just one spot? Like, no one's going to do that. Yeah, pretty random stuff. Now, I don't actually think Metroid was that bad. But Metroid was just an intercollected, an interconnected <laughs> 2D world where, because of the limited color palette, the whole world kind of looked the same, and they were just like different shades of, yeah, like yellow and green. And I mean, it was cool, obviously, that you could traverse the world, get new powers, and you know, unlock different areas. But without a map, ugh, that game was brutal. Talk about having to draw up your own. Or, or have a, a nice little Nintendo power nearby. Yeah, I just I don't remember. Maybe that's why I still don't love the Metroid series. That was my start on it. Yeah, I never did like that game. Well, it was definitely rough around the edges. But, I mean, they're, they're, we can't knock it for how important it was. A, a lot like the original Mega Man game, not necessarily a good game amongst the series. Yeah, I want to actually give a shout-out to another one of my favorite games on the NES. It's actually a Konami game I forgot to mention earlier. Uh -oh. that Monsters in My Pocket. Oh, boy. That's a second mention in eight episodes. That's it right. must be an important title. It is an important title. It is a pretty good game. It's a really freaking good game. And, I mean, I actually love the little monsters themselves way back in the day, little action figures. If anyone remembers them, they came in, like, boxes. They were just randomly colored little... Uh, mini monsters, almost like the the muscle figures from Japan, except they were monsters in my pocket. And my brother and I loved those, and they ended up getting a game basically because of that. And the game is um, a 2D side-scrolling, uh, two-player simultaneous, which is always awesome. And one of the things I appreciate from uh, a lot of games did back in the NES days, and especially Konami, I guess, with Contra and everything there, too. But, yeah, you just go through levels, and it's actually... Uh, fairly faithful to the, the action figures and, I guess, TV show they had way back in the day. And it's just a lot of freaking fun. Yeah, that one was two players, wasn't it? Yeah, two players simultaneously, too. Yeah, I'm glad you made that distinction, because back then, alternating two players... I, I would be kind I, of rough. I, yeah, I mean, especially like if you're playing like Super Mario Brothers with someone that's really good at it, and you're just sitting there, just kind of watching for... 20 to 30 minutes at a time. It could be <laughs> At least brutal. with Mario 3, every level you rotate back and forth. That's true. They figured it out better then. But yeah, the original, not so. Yeah, but Monsters in My Pocket, yeah, two players simultaneous. That's some of the, some of the best memories I have back then. It's just uh, my brother and I playing some of those games at the same time. That was that and the NES was probably the, the peak of his gaming career. But yeah, anytime we could do something... Um, play a game at the same time and usually be on the same team there. That was always really cool. And Monsters in My Pocket, if anyone just checks it out, has like a downloads a, a ROM for it or something, plays it, you'll be surprised how well that still holds up today. Yeah, no, it's 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 really good. I 
you introduced me to it, you let me borrow it. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And it's actually not that brutal of a game. It's actually pretty relaxing to go through, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it's actually, you can, I mean, most of the times we played through, I remember actually beating it. So that was pretty rare back in the day for an NES game. Indeed. Speaking of playing games with your brother, uh, me and my brother, he was nine years older than me. So uh, there's a there's pretty big age difference there. But uh, he was nice enough to play, at, at least in the Nintendo days and a little bit in the Genesis era, play games with me, especially when he was forced to babysit me. Poor guy. <laughs> Uh, but we, this was the heyday of me enjoying sports games. Uh, the Nintendo actually had some pretty good sports games on it. We used to play a lot of Gator Die, a lot of Super Tech Mobile, and Double Dribble, which I think those should be pretty self-explanatory what sports those are. And if you consider <laughs> skating a sport, you can go for it. It was, but, like, it was uh, no Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, but I do remember Skater Die. Yeah, and a Skater Die was actually pretty fun. I don't, I don't know how they managed to to pull off a fun skateboarding representation like that, but it wasn't it wasn't like Tony Hawk where you're comboing uh, different sick tricks together. It was basically just like going off burnt ramps and hitting a button, doing a 360, get some points. And it was more of like a it was almost kind of like a racing game to a certain extent. Like you you do like a downhill slalom yeah, kind like, of situation. Like an, uh, evolution of Excite Bike almost. Yeah, which is also a good game. I didn't play that with my brother, but definitely a shout-out to that one. And that's one of the only games where you could actually create your own course. It's probably the first game I remember you could do that. Yeah. It was, it was too bad you couldn't save them. But Excite Bike was a lot of fun. I think it, it's the first dirt bike game that I can honestly remember. Well, it's the last one I really remember putting time into, too, so that tells you anything. Yeah, fair enough. But we also played a lot of uh, Super Tech Mobile. That was our kind of go-to, and I think maybe to this day, still probably one of my brother's favorite games. Super Tech Mobile, much, much better than the original Tech Mobile, and I believe it it stands in history as the first football game to actually use licensed teams, which I is so. noteworthy. Yeah. Uh, and it, it, it also had, like, cutscenes for, like, when you got, like, a touchdown or, like, an interception or things like that. So whenever the, the screen cut away from the gameplay, you knew something was going down, and it was, it was pretty exciting. So we used to play that. My brother always used to play uh, the Detroit Lions, and he'd always destroy me with um, uh, Barry Sanders. It was r- ridiculous trying to catch him, but, <laughs> but my counter-assault was taking the 49ers, and I believe it was Steve Young back in those days. Definitely would have been. And just throwing it down the sideline, and I don't, I think Jerry Rice must have had some glue on his hands because he never dropped it. So, <laughs> yeah, and he used, my brother used to get so frustrated. I just, so many clutch victories just hail marrying it down the, the field. Steve Young and Jerry Rice. That's yeah. Awesome. Yeah, that's about the most sports knowledge I'll throw at anybody at this point. <laughs> yeah, I remember. So, um, one I'll just throw out there, too. I do remember playing a lot of Blades of Steel being pretty good, too, for an, uh, a hockey game. Yeah, no, that is a good one. I, I I remember a lot of gaming magazines used to herald that as one of the the best games on the Nintendo. Yeah, one of my uh, well uh, buddies I grew up with at the time, he's actually one of my neighbors there, and he had Blades of Steel, and yeah, we put quite a few hours in that. I mean, it's no Mutant League Hockey from Genesis that I still love, but Blades of Steel was definitely solid, and for an NES game, it I don't know if it would still hold up if I hadn't played it in 
20 plus years, but I have really fond memories of it for sure. You know, I have a feeling that it probably does because I kind of remember it having a very similar feeling to Super Tech Mobile and like the speed that it played and things like that. But I could be wrong. No, it easily could be. I know I actually just played Mutant League Hockey a couple weeks ago and that definitely still holds up. Yeah, that was on the Genesis, right? Yeah. And I don't know if anybody when they were younger, I used I had some experiences playing games uh, with my parents, and the Nintendo was the the heyday of playing video games with my mom. That was pretty much about the only time that mom uh, played video games with me. But shout out to her, we had some very good times playing uh, the original Paperboy. Oh, which, nice. Yeah, which a lot of people are going to be like, well, that sounds pretty boring, and it's exactly what it sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> It's definitely more exciting than actually being a paper boy. Going down the street, like dodging neighbors moving out of their houses and kids on skateboards and things like that, and just trying to deliver papers, getting the high score. It's a pretty and, simple game, but it was pretty fun. And you talk about uh, like the NES being the king of just trying to remember patterns and everything. That game's the the game where you try and remember exactly what happens at that time and yeah, and that day of the week. Yeah, and that day of the week. That's right. Yeah, no, it was a fun game, and, and definitely you probably wouldn't see a title like that come out these days. Just something so, kind of like an obscure idea for a game, to a certain extent. I think the last one actually came out on the 64. I think they put out a Paperboy. <laughs> I think they did. I yeah. never played Paperboy 64. But... Yeah, no, I didn't either. I probably own it, but I never played it. And then I remember the other game I played with mom was Super Mario Brothers. I think everybody played Super Mario Brothers with about anybody that came over to their house. But I distinctly remember, and this was my mom's like all-star video game moment in my eyes. When I first started playing Mario Brothers, I would always get to, I was at the third, third or fourth stage that was the, the first water level. I don't know. I, don't, gotcha. I for the, whatever. Uh, fourth stage, yeah. Yeah, as long as you're not skipping levels, it's the third or fourth stage. Yeah. Sure. And I remember getting there, and I could not grasp the concept of mashing the A button to ascend <laughs> the water, because you didn't have to learn that skill to get through the other levels. You just hit it once you jump. I was just like, why am I not getting over? I, well, I, I don't remember what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah, so you had to, like, dodge, I don't know, like, coral reefs or whatever. You had to kind of swim over it and around it and get around the squids. Uh, and I remember mom getting me through those levels. So otherwise, early on, it, probably when I was like five or six, uh, I could not grasp my, wrap my head around the concept. And she got me through those levels very lovingly. And uh, <laughs> then I went through and did the rest of the levels. So thanks, mom. Remember, Appreciate that. I remember playing uh, the original Super Mario Brothers with a, uh, my uncle Gary used to babysit me when I was uh, pretty young there, and that was uh, always our go-to. He still he would always want to play Mario Brothers, and he was I mean he didn't play any video games, and obviously uncle quite a bit older, and I mean he could go through and he could complete and you know beat Mario One, which is pretty impressive because that game gets pretty hard by the end. Yeah, I've, you know I hear a lot of stories like that. People's People's parents, they they don't play a lot of games, but they do have one game, one of those older games that they were just really good at because it was the only one that they decided to actually pick up one day when they were bored or something like that. Or they just wanted to connect with their child, whatever it may have been. And Mario is obviously one of the, the easier ones to get into because it's so accessible outside of the water levels.
And just uh, memories of just kind of transition from Mario straight over to Duck Hunt. I remember, uh, of course, good old every TV is a CRT TV then, and I would literally stand with the gun against the TV to shoot the ducks. You'd still miss sometimes, but it was a better shot. <laughs> oh, heck yeah. And then try to shoot the dog. Yeah, exactly, because that was always a myth going around. You could you could shoot the dog. Yeah. And did you ever do, did you ever have the second player actually control the ducks? No, I never, I didn't know about that back then. I mean, that sounds like an interesting concept, but I don't remember them stating that in the instruction manual. Okay, that's a whole other conversation right there. I don't know if that was just like a playground legend where we figured that out. I know we figured that out, and but I don't remember it being that much fun because like if one of us was still standing against the TV, uh, no matter what you did with the duck, you were still kind of screwed because they just shoot you immediately. Oh yeah, well I mean, <laughs> obviously aiming a gun's gonna be a lot quicker than trying to navigate those ducks. That's yeah, for sure. Yeah, I didn't I didn't remember hearing about that till much much later. Actually, I just heard about that again a little bit ago, and that reminded me. I was like, I remember we used to do that. I thought that was like a something that just kind of everyone kind of knew about, just like through playground legends or whatnot. But yeah, I was watching someone on YouTube, and they were talking about you know you could control the ducks, and I was thinking, yeah, I thought like everybody knew that. Yeah, no, I I don't think everybody did. I don't I don't think everybody probably spent enough time on duck hunt to figure that out. I mean, that's fair. I can yeah. see that's not exactly the deepest game I, on the planet. I feel like that got figured out based on somebody playing Duck Hunt and their like little brother or sister ran over and wanted to play and just grabbed the controller and started going to town. <laughs> that's how that happened. You know it is. <laughs> it's got to be. Yeah. Or they got on the, the trackpad just started running. Maybe that started moves the ducks. Running. Yeah, see, that would be sweet. You both have an advantage that. That would be epic. Yeah, Imagine if you... they could use that trackpad for that American Gladiator Super Nintendo game you have. Well, we may have to engineer that a little bit. Might make for the greatest game of all time run the Eliminator. I'd still destroy you. <laughs> you probably would. God. No matter how big of a lead I had, it didn't matter. The Eliminator comes up. Oh, just... yeah. What a deep strategy. And what a, what a one percenter that is. Yeah. If, if anybody's played the American Gladiators game for the Super Nintendo. Actually, there was one for the Nintendo, but I don't remember it being any good. I don't remember it being good at all, but yeah, there definitely was one. Yeah, if anyone remembers playing American Gladiators for the Super Nintendo, I'm sure you feel my pain if you played against someone who was a master at the Eliminator, which is the final event. where they. I'm were. a legend. I think I've lost once. <laughs> That's right when a... The gladiator was randomly stuck at your door and helped me win or something. Every door. Every right, door. Just, I just had such a lead, like a 60-point lead going in that even finishing 10 seconds later, I still won. Yeah. It it happened. I'm, I'm sure of it. Yes, I mean, speaking of the, speaking of the trackpad, not, not with American Gladiators at all, but with uh, track and field that came in the bundle. I remember 2006, this was about the time we graduated high school, I guess that would have been our senior year. Yep. Uh, I remember very distinctly that I got grounded for a week or two. My family was was strange because I I never got grounded, so <laughs> I could still have friends over. Uh, I just couldn't <laughs> leave the house. So I had a, I had a group of of buddies come over. I don't believe you are one of them. I don't think and, so. No. But uh, they came over and. We played that game in the basement in 2006. We went we went that far back in the time machine. <laughs>
And we also had uh, the local Arby's deliver to our house. That was an inside job because we all worked from there, or we all worked <laughs> there. So, but uh, you know, that, that's a good memory. And I know I talk about when I when I see those friends, that that's, that's one of the first things we always kind of remember. Just like, God, that was dumb and super fun. <laughs> yeah, that that's about the only time I actually remember ever playing that game very seriously at all when I'm hopped up on Mountain Dew and I just want to look like a jackass for five minutes. Yeah, that's the way to do it. So, you know, one thing that I remember from the Nintendo, and it was actually one of my later memories, the Nintendo did have a couple of classic RPG series come out, Humble Beginnings. Oh, yeah. Yes, Final Fantasy and the Dragon Quest series. Now, I don't think either one of us are a huge fan of the original Final Fantasy. I don't think either one of us really played that back in the day. No, we didn't. I mean, I got the first one I played was Final Fantasy II. Ugh, I wonder. Yeah. Oh, I guess that would have been Final Fantasy IV. Yeah, back Final Fantasy IV. Now that I think about that. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I was about to look like an idiot there. Quickly recovered. <laughs> yeah. No, I didn't import. <laughs> My Famicom imported Final Fantasy II. That's where I got my start. Thank goodness. And for anybody that doesn't know, the Famicom was the name of the the NES in Japan. And, fun fact, I don't know if anybody cares, do you know what the Nintendo was called in Korea? Uh, And by anybody, I mean Buck. (laughs) Yeah, I better not say that. I don't know. Not Not the Hyundai Cowboy? <laughs> I was going to say it probably ends in Kim, but I don't know. No, it's the Hyundai Cowboy. Oh, that's legit. Or <laughs> Comboy, or is that Com? Oh, that's Comboy. I wonder. I wonder if Wikipedia's got that wrong. I mean, Computer Boy would make sense, I guess, better than Cowboy. It's <laughs> Hyundai Cowboy. It's like right in a freaking Hyundai in there with a Nintendo in it or something. Oh, it had to be a sponsored deal. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Hyundai Cowboy. Yeah, I found that pretty humorous. That sounds like a sweet just sports team. We got the St. Louis Cardinals and the Hyundai Cowboys. Yeah, I want to see. I want to see the box, and I want to see what that console looks like. I wonder if it looks probably looks more like the Famicom. I'm gonna assume this was South Korea and not North Korea. It just says Korea on Wikipedia. Okay. They don't. They don't hate or discriminate. Kim Jong Il just got like a Hyundai Cowboy flown in there and just called that the system, and like they're good. He subscribes to the podcast. I cannot express my cease and desist. <laughs> yeah, yeah that that would be interesting. It would have to be Kim Jong Un because I don't think Kim Jong Il's with us anymore. So it's true. Rip. <laughs> but <laughs> getting way off topic here. The Hyundai Cowboy has really <laughs> yeah, you really derailed the conversation. Really bucked us off topic. Yeah. So, Final Fantasy, I remember I actually finished that game. I didn't play it right when it came out. I think I played it around the 64 era. Um, I actually may have played it on the Final Fantasy Origins collection. That's the, I mean, that's the first time I played the original one, but that came out, that was at the very end of the, the PS1 64 lifestyle. I was going to say that came out in like 2002, I believe. So That, that could be. And I also think that that version, while obviously it had graphical updates, I think it was also made like much easier. I don't think it was quite as difficult. It was still super freaking grindy. I remember that. I was into that. You know that. I loved grindy RPGs back then. Yeah. 
no story, no fluff. You didn't necessarily know where you were supposed to go, but you definitely didn't know where you were supposed to go. I always liked at least I liked creating my own party though. I always thought yeah. that was a cool, cool concept. Yeah, that, that was that was very unique and original, especially for the the first go at the the very first and thankfully not the Final Fantasy that they thought it would be. <laughs> True. Uh, also, the Dragon Quest series got was it four games on the on the Famicom, and I, we got two of them. We get three of them. We got all four of them. Yeah, we got all four. Dragon Warrior one through four came out on the NES. Okay. So I think I only had the first three. Three is about one of the highlights of the series, period. Everyone should freaking check that game out. That Even game though is... four gets more hype and love, three is world's better, in my opinion. Yeah, no, three was awesome because it had the uh, job system uh, that Final Fantasy kind of designed, but Dragon Quest three Took brought it to it. the next level. Yeah, no, it, it, it was pretty cool. You also created your party right at the beginning of the game. That was not one that you could switch your jobs on the fly like Final Fantasy III, if I remember correctly. No, you could, but your jobs um, ascended there, too, in uh, in Dragon Warrior Three. Like, you couldn't... Because I remember one of the, the jobs was, like, a, a joker or something. It ended up becoming, like, a clown or joker or something. It ended up becoming the strongest job in the game, and it completely Maybe. sucked before you had to level up, ascend it, whatever they call it. Yeah, it was like the... It was like the the idea behind Magikarp, really. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I mean, the original Final Fantasy kind of had that ascension, the ascension system, too. Once you get half, or like three quarters of the way through the game, they kind of... That's true, once you get a bunch up. of crystals, yeah. you kind of unlock that, don't you? Yeah, but I, yeah. I mean, I don't remember either one of them in great detail. My, my favorite uh, RPG on the system was Dragon Quest Two. I really liked that one. The original Dragon Quest, which was just you have one person on your team, and it's literally the grindiest RPG I can think of. <laughs> and, and you beat it. Yeah, I did. I hit max level. I beat it. Um, max level like thirty. Yep. Okay. How do you know that? I remember it. I remember being the same as Mario RPG. I remember you like buying a bamboo stick, and you're like, I'm done with this game. Yeah, like no, I'm done. Screw this. Yeah. Um, I beat that one, and then I got Dragon Quest 2, probably. Actually, I got Dragon Quest 2. On the Game Boy uh, yeah. Color, we got it. Game Boy Color, I actually Dragon got... Dragon Quest 1 and 2. Yeah, I got that for Christmas from my aunt. And now she said... In 2001, I believe, I want to say. Yeah. Yeah, that had the, uh, the original two... Dragon Quest 1 and 2 on it, updated graphics, and I remember playing Dragon Quest 2 pretty much all Christmas break. I had a, a great time with it, and I've played it since on the original Nintendo as well. Yeah, um, we were that, playing it at the same time, I remember. Your your party was stronger than mine, because I remember being angry, and they were named like random names, like your John and Mary were stronger than my like Gordon and Beth or something. I had I like, garbage. I had Carl and Sarah. Well, I had, like, John and Mary, and they sucked then. Well. They need to get up there with Carl and Sarah. Yeah, I can't remember what... I guess it was based on what you named your main character. I think that's or how that works. It just be completely random. I don't know. I, I, I can't remember. But Dr Dragon Quest II uh, introduced uh, a three-party system where throughout the like the first quarter of the game, you kind of found your party members, and then you went through with those three. I kind of liked the simplicity of it. It still had the extreme grinding, potentially even more grindy than the first game, if you can believe it, and just 
brutally hard at the end. There was one dungeon where like every monster could kill you in one hit, and they were like instant death attacks, and it was ridiculous and terribly designed. But I have very fond memories of that game. Yeah, I remember. I don't remember in that game. I didn't beat that game. I didn't grind really in Dragon Quest L3, and I always grinded the metal slimes. I'm not sure yeah. if you could do that in 2 or not. They had, they had metal slimes in 1 and 2. Yeah. Oh, man, so they're back from the beginning. Yeah, they tended to... Yeah, I mean, it, it just depended. Sometimes it wasn't the most efficient way to go about it. I think in I think in 3, that's when they started just giving King metal them, slimes and... <laughs> just... They gave tremendously more experience than they did. They'd give, oh, like, ten gosh, times, yeah. like, the experience that a normal monster would be, as opposed to, like, 200 times, <laughs> or whatever it was in, like, Dragon Quest Nine. Yeah, we could just find spots and grind them, too, where I would, like, grind King Metal Slimes. Yeah, that was epic. Yeah. I want to play that game again now, too. Dragon Quest Nine. Hell yeah, man. Yeah. You need to get 11. Let me know how it is. I want to get 11. I just wish it was on Switch. Instead of PS4. Understood. I, I bet it will in time. Oh, it's definitely going to come out there. And that's probably, honestly, when I'm going to get it. Because it's so much easier just to be able to have the option to play on the go or, or play there. Especially if, like, uh, my wife's playing Overwatch or something. It is important. That's true. It's way easier. You it's have to be able to get your game on when, when the TV's taken up. Exactly. Yeah, you understand, right I'm sure. Oh, I do. We have two TVs, and I still don't have a TV. <laughs> Play video games on sometimes. <laughs> it just depends upon where my consoles get set up. Sometimes I gotta shuffle them around. So I have my computer that I mostly play games on now, and I'll just hook up my consoles to my monitors. There you go. I, I don't have one of them good old CRTs anymore, though. I, re- I refuse to try and move those around. My cube vision is still in the garage, I believe. So I technically have one. I don't even know if it would work anymore since it's you know been sitting in the garage. But you mean the Fantasy Star experience? No, not that one. I'm talking about the one Cube literally bought as a graduation gift, the oh. Cube thing. Oh, yeah, that one. Excellent. Yeah, that one's fan- not broken. It's a fancy star experience. Is, uh, that one's just long gone, unfortunately. It's a Smash TV. Yeah, too bad. It got a lot of good years in it. I actually, it's been a while since I've actually used a CRTV, or a CRT TV, and I'd actually like to get a side-by-side comparison of, of what they look like and what they look like now on the, the HD television and when they kind of, you know, spread out the pixels, kind of expand them and make it look awkward. Because I know a lot of people oh, yeah. swear by the CRT that it looks so well, much I don't nicer. Think you really, I don't think you need a CRT unless you're playing something like a fighting game competitively where frames actually matter. But, yeah, I mean, just playing, like, if I hook the 64 up to our TV and the TV in the living room's like, I think, like, 50 or 55-inch TV, and, yeah, it looks awkward playing, like, Pokemon Puzzle League out there or something. Yeah, because I, I imagine the biggest thing is the fact... Is it the fact that the TV's so big, or is it the fact that it's widescreen? Or is it both? It's both. It's definitely both. Yeah, because when I play older games, I tend to play them on my computer monitors, which are a reasonable size, so it doesn't really bother me. Well, like, I'll, throw, I'll, I'll throw them in my Retron 5 and just go to town. The most awkward-looking games, though, are, uh, seem to be... In 64. The 64, for sure, but also, like, the PS2 GameCube era, because they have a lot of muddy textures in there, too. Yeah, that's true. And, like, well, good thing those all those games, games have been super remade. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's been a long time since I've gone back to my PS2. Not that I don't want to. It's just been a long time since I've, I've had the drive. Yeah, they look a little rough. 
Gotta say. Well, let's segue back to the Nintendo, shall we? <laughs> All right. So we earlier we mentioned Nintendo Power. Did you have any experiences, or did you ever get a subscription to that back in the day? I definitely uh, had some experiences there. I never actually had a subscription. I would always look at them, and we go to, like, um, CVS or Kmart. I know I'm dating myself there with Kmart. And they always had a magazine stand there, and that's where I go straight You're forward. dating yourself with that, too, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, the game magazines. Yeah. We already gave out her basically what you were born here, so they can tell how old we are. Yeah, yeah no. I would always go uh, pick up Nintendo Power and see, especially once I got um, a little bit older, time we get to the early to mid-90s there, and I'd actually want to check out the previews and see, um, be excited for what was coming out or look if I they had any new Donkey Kong Country news or anything. Yeah, Nintendo Power, back then, before, before the Internet days, it, Nintendo Power was how you got your strategies, your your maps, or whatever. They used to have, you know, like ten page spreads on two or three games a month. How to how to get through them? Maps, you know, different uh, illustrations on the abilities and things like that. And that you know, was I like still uh, still have one that highlights Mega Man Three, like the entire game, pretty much it outlines with like a ten or twelve page spread. Right, which. Nowadays, that would be blasphemy because there's so many more games coming out these days, and the chance of and the and the games they pick, and obviously games you don't need strategy guides for anymore. Yeah, because <laughs> they're all pretty self-explanatory at this point. But that was that was always cool to leaf through those at the, at the various magazine stands, just kind of see what games were obviously out, what the counselors or the editors, I should say. They also had game counselors, but what the editors thought scoring them, talking about them. But they also had, like, a couple pages where they had, you know, ask a game counselor, and people would submit different questions about different games. Back then, the questions that they asked about the games were probably on everybody's minds because Nintendo games were so vague in the direction and what you were supposed to do because they were created for longevity. So they kind of had to make it difficult in various ways, whether it be difficult and brutal gameplay and memorization, or Castlevania 2, not explaining <laughs> shit. Yeah. So, but that that's why that was cool. I, I appreciated both of those features, be it the, the, the mini player's guides and the, uh, the game counselor corner. They also had, they actually almost forgot about this, they used to actually have subscriber high score pages. Do you remember that where they'd have games and they'd have high scores yeah, that that's going people way would back. submit? That's like the the late eighties, early nineties version right there. Well I'm going back as far as I can. Oh, okay. So just saying. But yeah, no, that was that was interesting. Uh, they after I don't remember any other magazine doing that. Maybe Tips and Tricks would do that. But Nintendo Power was the first and last one that I predominantly remember doing that. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, I mean those were those were pretty cool. And like you said earlier, the one of the main reasons I got them was to to go ahead and see what games would be coming up soon too. Basically, their preview section. And yeah, like I said before the internet, that's all we had. Like that, that, was what, that and just walking in the store, month. seeing what was on the wall. Yeah, I mean, honestly, a lot of games that I I found out about that was that was more frequently the way it it turned out. You just go to the store and be like, oh my god, that game looks awesome. Yeah. And this was in the day where they actually put effort, excluding the original Mega Man, in making <laughs> cover art that sold you on the games. 
because nobody knew what they were. Nobody, there weren't, weren't scores. There was no Rotten Tomatoes or anything back then. So they a had lot of times the, the games didn't, the cover art didn't necessarily uh, depict a lot what the game would be. But if it looked cool, I was going to grab it. Yeah. Well, it, well, thankfully, they also had the back side of the box, assuming the store let you see that without waiting 20 minutes to get a clerk to take it out of wherever. But back yeah, in those days, I remember them hanging them. Like on one of those like action figure rods that they well, hang on. I remember Walmart still had like the game case, just like they do now, behind uh, behind the glass there. But uh, Toys R Us, of course, had the flaps where you could be able to see the back, which was cool. Yeah, and they always had a few screenshots and kind of a little synopsis of the game, kind of like any any game does these days. But it was much more important and relevant that they depicted the games well in that format. Yeah, because these days we've all watched YouTube videos. We know exactly what we're getting into. We're back then. That was the first time you ever saw it was when it actually got put on the shelf unless you saw a preview for it in the magazine. And I felt like a a young little almost gaming hipster almost because I'd be like, oh, yeah, this game's coming out. It looks awesome. And I felt, you know, informed and up to date because I could look at the game magazines and be like, yeah. Because you had the power. I did have the power. Superpower. And then, obviously, the Nintendo Power Hotline was the only other way to <laughs> figure out how to play these games. I think I've brought this up before, where you... I, I, I can't remember. Was it actually ran by the people who did the Nintendo Power magazine? I think it was. I think it was. And it man, called, all those hmm. hotlines were such rackets. They had one for everything. Yeah, they did. And they were all so expensive. They I, had that, they had a Genesis one, they had a, like a, a Capcom hotline, I know for sure. The um, WWE or WWF, as it was called back in the time, had a hotline. And I know my brother racked up like a $200 phone bill playing a, some kind of game on there. You would like pick a, a number on the phone and you do a different uh, wrestling move to the wrestler and you'd try and beat him in a match. And he spent like 200 and some odd dollars. Worth <laughs> it. game. He ended up winning a couple uh, packs of Pogs for it. But yeah, oh, boy. Hard dad being furious when uh, the phone bill came and he sees uh, the charges from the WWF for 200 some odd dollars. Yeah, yeah, back then, $200, that was a lot. Yeah, $200 for a phone bill was insane. Yeah. If I remember correctly, a lot of these were like 10 bucks a minute or something ridiculous. No, it was, uh, they were like... Two or three dollars for the first minute, and then like a dollar fifty or two dollars each additional minute or something. Okay. Like it was insane, and I mean, I'm sure that they would do a little song and dance, so you stayed on there several minutes. And I'm sure they made all the money. All the money. But yeah, that's that's something I never, I was never brave enough to try that. I don't think it's that important. Yeah, I, I mean, I never even thought about calling one of those uh, for a game. No. Usually, I would either, if I love the game, I'd play it enough and figure it out, or if it was something like Metroid or Zelda, I was probably, at the time, too young to really love it, so i just put it down for something I could play, like Mega Man. Yeah, I mean, well, back then, besides the games that people rented, you usually only got a handful of games a year. So, yeah, the, game, the games you got for, the probably just a game you may have gotten for Christmas, well, that's what you'd be playing for the next three months. So you were going to figure it out regardless. Mm-hmm. It didn't yeah. matter. So that was just a different time. Now it seems like 50 indie games get released a week, 
and <laughs> I don't know how many AAA games get released every week. Probably only one or two, but it, it seems like there is no end to the amount of games you can get these days. Yeah, it seems like this winter and fall, there's like a game coming out almost every week or something. It's like, yeah, it'd be cool to have that. Yeah, it'd be nice to get that this week, and it's just not realistic to keep up with the ridiculous gaming catalog these days. No, I completely agree. I mean, it was just, it was different times. We also have, you know, more expendable income now as adults, so we can, we can pick up more than that. I mean, when I... We don't have the time now. (laughs) Yeah, no, we don't have the time, but, um, I mean, back then, I never, I don't remember ever buying any of these games when they came out, because I was such a late bloomer, so I would literally get a lot of these games for a couple bucks, either from a rental store or like a garage sale or something like that. Yeah, and you've got quite the collection these days. Yes, um, and I remember rental stores being the the go-to collector's market at the beginning there. Oh, for especially sure, because, when I was younger. Well, the good thing about rental stores too, most of the time you get the you get the box for sure, and then sometimes you still get the instruction book with it. If if not, you got the photocopied one. <laughs> just at that good. point, that was just as good, right? Exactly. I feel like those should be more collectible. Those are awesome. <laughs> those are awesome. Yeah. But, I mean, speaking of manuals, even back in the Nintendo era, manuals were kind of important. They at least spent a lot of time on them. Manuals these days are three to four pages worth of nothing but what seems to be, like, a controller configuration and just, like, copyright information. They're well, worthless. Most games don't even have a manual anymore. Well, that's true. Well, in those cases, they may as well not put one in. But back then, they used to, depending upon the difficulty of the game, like you could look at a game like The Legend of Zelda, I think that was probably 30, 40 pages. Lots of cool, unique artwork trying to explain the game, the different powers you'd get, things like that. So that was part of the experience back then. At least I I enjoyed it. I mean, I honestly didn't look at a lot of instruction books. I'd go straight to the game, but I still do have a lot of them. I know I was just looking the other day and still have the... Going through a box and found the Mario Duck Hunt original instruction book that came with the the NES we have there. So that was pretty cool just to find. Yeah. Yeah, because I always remember the way I used to store my Nintendo games was they used to have those little, those little like Nintendo sleeves. Yeah, the black black plastic ones. You'd shove them in and I'd always put the the manual right alongside them. So I'd, I'd take out both of them. Sometimes I'd flip through the manual a little bit just to look at it. I mean, I remember how to play all those games. They're not that complicated. Like I said, there's four buttons on the controller. You figure it out pretty <laughs> quick. Yeah, no, manuals Manuals were a lot of fun, and it, it's definitely a pain in the butt to try to find boxes these days. Or I mean, manuals, yeah. To get anything complete, I mean, the value skyrockets. Yeah. But, I mean, that's that's also just trying to collect retro games at this point is... I, I can't even fathom. Yeah, I've, uh, I've kind of given up on that. <laughs> With the the way emulation everything is now, and I have honestly, we're super lucky in the fact that we both have a lot of the retro games that we want. With a, a very few exceptions, there I would like to get like a like Panzer Dragoon Saga or something It'd be really cool to play. But other than that, I mean, I'm lucky and blessed in the fact that there's not a lot of games that don't need to track down like a Mega Man X3 or anything for my collection. Yeah, I was I was looking through a list of games before we got on, and I. Was, I was trying to figure out if there was any games for the Nintendo that I specifically wanted, and I, I was just going through, and I was like, "Yeah, pretty sure I've got all the ones I want." I, I, the only thing that I could probably say that I want is probably the the first three Castlevania games 
inbox with instruction manuals, but I know that's a that's a pipe dream at this point. Probably so. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm sure I could find one on eBay for hundreds of dollars, but yeah, screw that. Because I have the I have the manual and the box for Castlevania Three, but the box is flattened as they <laughs> used to get. So. Yeah. But so the manual is still in good condition, so that's kind of that, that's pretty much the only prize of my uh, Nintendo collection overall. I've only got a couple of other box games that I don't really care about. Yeah, I've got Turtles Three: The Manhattan Project complete in box that I got nice. from a rental store from American Rental, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, save that one for sure. Yeah. Or... And yeah, other than that, I mean, most of them I bought as a kid. All those boxes are gone. Oh yeah, that they were made of. Really flimsy cardboard. I do have a Mario 2 complete in box, also from Cousin Monk. That he apparently took pretty good care of his game sprite because he never played him. Nice. But yeah, that's one of the only... Uh, that and I think I have Gremlins 2 complete in box that I got from the book broker, ironically. That's about it. Nice. So it smells like chain smoke. It does, and it probably makes uh, the rest of the games around it smell like that, too. Yeah, oh, perfect. yeah, and I also got a, a Rampage complete in box from a, a flea market eons ago. Well, you got a small gold mine there, I say. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I was just saying, see, you never grabbed any boxes for any of the Mega Man games? No, actually, I had, um, I probably should have gotten some of those at rental stores, but I think I had most of the Mega Man games anyway before that point. I actually have every Mega Man game except I don't have the first one. But I don't believe I have boxes for any of them, unfortunately. Let's say I think I have uh, four in box. Kind of curious to go check now. Yeah, I would. I definitely like to have three in box since it's my favorite. But yeah, like you said, not gonna happen right Wh- now. Which which one's the one with Pharaoh Man in it? That's four. Okay, then that's one I have. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Just want to make sure I wasn't lying to you guys. Yeah. Well, that that's pretty much my history. Uh, with the good old NES. I don't know if you got anything else you want to throw onto the fire there. Uh, not really. I mean, we covered a lot of things here. I mean, uh, there's a couple other games that I put some time into. I know I played Bad Dudes a lot with me and my brother. We probably played that a little bit with me and you there, too. And Bad Dudes is sweet. Another one, uh, River City Ransom was great. Oh, yeah. That game's, a, yeah, that game's still awesome. It holds yeah. up way better than Bad Dudes. Uh, yes. Of course, Mario 3 was was and still is awesome. Yeah, that's that's probably, besides Super Mario RPG, probably my favorite Mario game to this day. Yeah, I still think uh, Mario World beats it. But yeah, Mario 3 is pretty freaking epic and an awesome game, definitely. Uh, no one should miss out on that one. It's the, basically the standard bearer for Mario games. Yeah, I mean, all the Mario games... What? It, it, it's kind of hard to sell, too, because it's such a different game, but it is still pretty high quality. Yeah, but 3 just basically changed the game, and yeah, can't say enough good things about Mario 3. That game was epic. It's worlds better than Mario 1. Yeah, the only other couple other games I had mentioned here, did you get stuck buying, I mean, I love The Simpsons back in the day, and I have uh, Bart vs. the World, which is just pure garbage. I had, I had Bart... Uh, Radioactive versus Man, mutants, right? Versus the Mutants, or... Uh, okay, that was something with Radioactive Man. I don't remember how many there were for the NES, but it, it's very likely. I had, no, I, I had Bart versus the Space Mutants, and it was oh. not good. Not yeah. good at all. 
Those were examples of licensed game, license games that were terrible. Yeah. There, yeah, when I said there was a lot of good ones, there was a lot of good ones, but that was like probably maybe 15, 20% of them. There was yeah. a lot of bad games on the Nintendo. A lot of shovelware. Yeah. Not as much as there is on the Nintendo Wii, but still. <laughs> That's true. Actually, what one group of games, I'm not sure if you ever played them, but uh, Shadowgate and Deja Vu were point-and-click adventure games that got released on the Nintendo that were a lot of fun. No, I don't think I ever played those. Yeah, that was kind of my first foray into that that genre, and I remember uh, one of my sisters had those games and kind of passed them down to me, and I remember just seeing, like, the, the still images, uh, you know, like where you are in the castle and you're trying to figure out, you know, how to get past a monster or something, and you're just, like, throwing your torch at everything in the room, just kind of, <laughs> I don't just trying to figure out where the square hole for the square peg was, even though it was very unobvious. So it was pretty trial by fire. They were they were fun and interesting, but they could be a little time-consuming. But uh, those were fun. They also had really good music. And then the last one I, I think I have that I haven't mentioned was good old RC Pro-Am. Oh, yeah, that's that's rare, isn't it? Um, I don't know, to be honest with you. I think it might. I could be wrong. I think it might be rare. You know what it is? Yeah. It's fun. It is fun. Yeah, it has a lot of fun. A very arcadey racing game. One of the first racing games, I think, where you actually got, like, traps or weapons that you could use. Like, you'd launch rockets and drop, like, oil puddles and things like that. Yeah, that game was really cool. And, uh, well, we were talking about Rare. Another one that reminded me of Rare also made Battletoads, which was a really hard game but also super fun until you got to that um, jet bike level. It was, like, the third level, though. But it was still awesome. It, no, it was sweet. But even better than that was Battletoads Double Dragons. Oh yeah, for sure. That's the that game. Of the series, right? That there. game was incredible. Actually, because yeah. I think it came out for the Nintendo and the Super Nintendo, and I actually think I still prefer the Nintendo version. I actually prefer the Sega Genesis version. It's the one I put the most time into, and I think we put the most time into. Well, that's fair. Well, we may have if we were playing it together. We. Well, I don't know what house we played that at, but I don't know if I ever had it for the second. It's show. the only one I own, so. <laughs> there you go. And it's really, if you're going to get a Battletoads game, that's the one to get. Yeah. And everyone should have at least one Battletoads game to write a passage to. Yeah. I'm not sure what, but they are good. Well, if you, yeah. if you can, if you can beat the first game, if you can beat the very first Battletoads, you're, you're at the upper echelon of gaming skill or patience, one of the two. Yeah, I mean, people should say, like, that was the Battletoads or something instead of the Dark Souls if it's really hard. Yeah. Like, oh, that's the Battletoads, the shooters, not the freaking Dark Souls. Because Dark Souls is the easiest game on the planet compared to Battletoads 1. Yes, I would say Battletoads is significantly less rewarding to learn how to beat. It was pretty rewarding when I actually got through that freaking bike Speeder level. bike level? And then I found out the next level was like a... A maze or something, and I just got super frustrated. Yeah, it was crazy how, like, that part... Everybody talks about that part being the hardest part in the game, but the game doesn't get any easier. No, it, it's oh, really hard. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And that game was actually... If there's one thing I can say about the Battletoads games, they got a lot of variety going on there. A lot of yeah, cool... Yeah, you have those sections where you drop down on, like, the rope, and then you have, like, actual 
weird asteroid shooter sections, and that's one of your favorite games. Yeah, that was in Double Dragon or Battletoads Double Dragons. Oh, there's one I think in the original Battletoads. If I'm not... I, mean, I probably didn't get that far. Let's be honest. I don't think I ever got through the speeder bike section. But I definitely that, that, got through that. But that game, yeah, that's like the third level. That game had is actually pretty long, and yeah, it just it gets more and more frustrating as you go on. But definitely still a fun game. Don't don't ignore either one of those. Uh, and the very last game I had listed here, I don't know. If I, we never played this together. I don't know if you played it much in general. It was actually Trog. Nope. It's like a a mixture of kind of like Dig Dug and Pac-Man. Okay. So you control like this caveman character, and it's two players simultaneous too, which is cool because me and my brother Roy played it um, a lot together. And you have to basically clear out the little set maps, kind of like a Pac-Man type map. And you walk around and you collect dinosaur eggs. And you can um, actually hit these dinosaurs with, like, your clubs. And you get different power-ups and stuff as you go along the map. It's Sounds a pretty, pretty freaking cool game. It's, a, like, the best version of Pac-Man there is, if you want to call it that. I'm looking up some, some images on this. So yeah, think, that... Say what? I was going to say, I don't think we ever played Trog together. I actually just no, got it on eBay earlier this year, and it was it's still super cheap. But Yeah, no, I don't remember this at all. I mean, it looks cool. I mean, it, it was pretty I, sweet. I could get on board with that. Yeah, I got it and uh, played it a little bit. I think I got it in, like, uh, March or April. It was only, like, five bucks on eBay. It's like, ah, oh, just get the cartridge. I don't really care. Don't need it complete. It's like, nice. This game's still cool. Nothing wrong with that. Get a little bit of your childhood back. Exactly. Yeah, overall, I, I had a lot of fun. I got a lot of fond memories playing Nintendo, especially with my family. Uh, that's one of the, the few systems that I actually spent a lot of time uh, playing games with various members of my family. And I, w- I was looking at these statistics on, on the good old-fashioned Wikipedia, which I found <laughs> very interesting. So we mentioned that the NES came out on, at 83 in Japan, 85 in North America. Wikipedia states that the NES was discontinued <laughs> in, in North America in 95. That's fine. Makes sense to me. Yeah, this I continued in Japan September 2003. Were no. they still putting out games here, or is Wikipedia out of their gourd here? So, let's just go in the time machine here a little bit. So, I remember being super hyped and waiting in line in 2001 to get a GameCube when it launched. Mm-hmm. This is two years after that, almost the day. So two years after they're strong in the GameCube, Wind Waker's come out, Smash Melee and everything, that's all out. Uh, they're going to say, we're stopped producing the Famicom now. We're finally done. Here's my theory. I think the Nintendo, at least North America's Nintendo, I don't know if the Famicom had this. You know that expansion port that they never used? Maybe that actually connected to the GameCube. And, and <laughs> Japan kept releasing games for it. I don't know. It seems ridiculous. But in the same vein, though, I, I think Japan, they're still, for a long time, they were putting out, you know, like Dreamcast games for years and years after that was discontinued here. That's true. So I don't know if Japan, you know, holds on to their, their console lifespans longer than us. I saw a statistic that overall the NES sold about 62 million consoles worldwide. That's Japan was about 20, and uh, North America was 
34. Man, that's that's a lot for Japan. Of course, they sell it for 20 years, I guess so, but... Well, they had four Dragon Quest games, so that probably... That's a lot right there. Yeah. Found that interesting, especially the 2003 just kind of blew my mind. Apparently, they could have released Dragon Quest one through seven on there, time period wise, but you know, and Super Monkey Ball, and Super Monkey Ball, <laughs> and Super Monkey Ball two. That's right. Well, I mean, it really, it was just the best segue from Marble Madness that you can have. <laughs> to be real. So That's a good point. Yeah. Well, as we said, Nintendo's a great console. I'm, I'm glad we could sit down and share our memories of it. Buck, I actually hadn't heard some of those stories from you, and I know we've been friends for years. Yeah, I know. Uh, Nintendo is one of the the few consoles we actually haven't done a ton of gaming together on the NES. It's very true. Yeah, we we pretty much stuck to the Genesis Super Nintendo era for the most part. It's hard to go back once you've been to the the SNES and the Genesis there. It's hard to go back to the Nintendo. Well, we'll we'll get there, and we'll have a lot of sugar to get to those those consoles. Yeah, yeah that's a, you have a lot of episodes. That may be a three-parter. <laughs> but uh, thanks for listening, guys. Uh, Buck, do you want to tell everybody how they can get a hold of us? Yeah, you can go ahead and uh, reach out to us. Uh, we have a Twitter page. It's at BuckChuckGaming. So definitely uh, reach out to us on there. Let us know what you thought of the episode, uh, any feedback, future episodes, what are your guys' NES memories. And uh, reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you on there. And then also, you want to plug the uh, the iTunes and SoundCloud? I sure can. I mean, you pretty <laughs> much did. You can find us, obviously, iTunes, podcast app, Buck and Chuck Gaming Connection. Also on SoundCloud, give us reviews, any ideas you'd like for future episodes. Uh, all of our episodes are up there. You can even find a playlist of all of our episodes that I go ahead and compile, or Compile. compile. That's impressive. <laughs> that I compile when I uh, upload them. So if you want to listen to all the episodes right in a row, just hit play and just get sweet listening. You can enjoy so yourself. I promise you. Faster today by this point. Yeah, no doubt. But yeah, we're not hard to find. Uh, definitely reach out and let us know what you guys think. We appreciate. Uh, yeah, subscribe to us. Uh, like Chuck said, leave us a review. We um, appreciate all the feedback and everything you guys give us there. And as always, I'm Chuck. And I'm Buck. You've been listening to the Buck and Chuck Gaming Connection. Thanks a lot, guys. Have a guys. Cool, guys.